0: Let's jump right into Job. We're going to start, as always, with uh, just kind of an um, introduction uh, to, to the book. And uh, so, so, yeah, Job. So the, the, the thing about Job um, is that it, it asks that, uh, that, that, that age old question, the question that we all kind of struggle with from time to time. Um, the question being, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, and, and you know, uh, I don't know if anyone else has ever caught themselves asking that question. I don't know if you ever look at the news or you ever look at what has happened to somebody that you may know, or whether, you know, you even look at some of your own situations and your own stuff that you're going through and you're wondering, you know what, you know, I do okay. I try to help people. You know, I study my Bible. I get up in the morning and I watch Joyce Meyer, you know, for 30 minutes on TBN. And then, you know, I've got my prayer group at work for lunch. And then right before we eat lunch, we, you know, we pray in the kitchen at work and then, you know, I come home and I do this. And so we've got all this stuff that, that we do. And we think, OK, why, why now would something bad like this or this kind of misfortune, whether it's finances, relationship, family stuff, whatever, why would this happen to me? And this is like the central theme of the book of Job is that question. Why do bad things happen to? Uh, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Right now, now, now that seems to be the consensus, not just with scholars, but just people who read the book. Like we go to the Book of Job. People even refer to their own tests and their own trials. Like, oh, I'm going through a Job moment. I, 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 I'm, this is my Job. Moment. I'm going through a Job season, and all oh, it, 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 my life is reflecting, you know, Job. And so, from scholars to to people who just kind of read the Bible, to folks who just heard of the book or heard of the trial of Job. That seems to be the common uh, theme. Um, I've got two themes. That's, that, that, that's one, But but I want to go a little further with that first part of the theme, why do bad things happen to good people? I want to try to go a little bit further, and and, and we'll see this through our study. I think it actually tags uh, nicely with the book that we just finished in Habakkuk, that what if we remove the question from from that theme and and make it more of a statement? And the theme as more of a statement is, you know, bad things do happen to good people, okay? Like, what if we remove the why, like we talked about in Habakkuk, and what if we just come to an understanding that bad things or things that aren't ideal and things that that we don't like and things that are inconvenient, that they do happen to good people. So as opposed to looking at the theme that says, why do bad things happen to good people? And, 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 and watch this, the second theme that we're going to introduce in this book ties into why we'll take the why out of that. And the statement theme would be, bad things do happen to good people. Doesn't mean that you are bad. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you deserved it. It doesn't mean that that, that there's, there's this sin in your life and it doesn't mean that there's this lifestyle that you're living in. So now there's this punishment. It doesn't mean that God is mad at you. You know. Now, again, that doesn't remove the fact that there are some things that we do and that we have to, again, we're talking about layers and nuances here. But the point is, and we'll see this in Job, that not everything that happens to, to Denise or to Micah is because Micah sinned or because someone, you know what I mean? We have to release ourselves from that thinking because something happens and the first thing we do, we think God's mad at me. or God must be punishing me. Well, I must not be living up to, I must not. Like, no, 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 release yourself from that. It doesn't mean that. It just means that sometimes unfortunate stuff happens to good people. Sometimes something that we don't like just happens to folks. Who are living right, and who are right, and and who are righteous? But but here's what's interesting too is that you know bad things happen to bad people too. It isn't like just bad things happen to good people. You know, oh, a lot of bad things happen. Well, things happen to people. You know what I mean? And so and so that's one of those things. watch this Matthew 4 45. um, Matthew 5 44. And uh, 45 says what? Jesus says, but I say, love your enemies, right? Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. Watch this. He says, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so what is being said here is the fact that, listen, it's going to, It rains on good. It rains on the evil. It, it, uh, it, the sun shines on the evil. The sun shines on the good. It, it, watch this. It's, it's beyond our human ability, and this is what we're going to see in, 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 uh, uh, um, in Job, that it is beyond our human ability to understand the wise behind everything. We won't understand the wise behind. It is beyond our human ability to understand the wise and the suffering in the world. But we do understand, if we believe the Bible, that at some point the wicked will receive their just due. Amen. That the, that, the, that the workers of iniquity, as King James would say, and those who are unrighteous, that they will receive their just due at the end, and the righteous will also receive their what? Their just due at the end. So we can't rationalize all the whys and all the questions, right? However, Crystal going to like this part, there are some things that we do know that despite not being, an- being able to answer the why, we do know that all things work together for what? For the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Look at Crystal's big smile on the face. That's her favorite verse. Romans eight twenty-eight. And so we know that for a fact. I don't know the why, but I do know things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Right? Romans 8, 18 says, Paul says what? I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be what? Revealed where? In, in Denise, in the time no, in us, in you. And so so yes, in me. And so you can put your name there. That, the, that Listen, the present suffering that I'm going through right now will not be able to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in Rick. You put your name right there. And so we, and so we see that while we may not know but the why, and we can change the world. Why do b- bad things happen to good people? No, change that to a statement. I understand that bad things happen to good people, bad things happen to the bad people. But I do know that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose and I know that the present thing that I'm going through right now will not even be able to be compared to the thing that is coming and the glory I see you my that is revealed within us, right? So theme number 1, bad things happen to good people. It just is I mean it just is what it is, right? Uh uh uh, uh and now number 2, a second theme um that we see in this book um, and, and this is one actually, like personally, as I, can, as I study the Bible that I wrestle with because I, I'm, I'm kind of a, um, I think a practical person, you know, and I like to understand things. But theme number two is the vastness of God, that we will not understand or comprehend everything about God. I say this all the time. Listen, math wasn't my strong suit, right? I mean, forget calculus and stuff like that. I didn't want to do algebra too. And so if I can't understand basic man-made arithmetic and understanding numbers and things like that and go into the depths of biology and all this other kind of stuff, why do I think that I can understand to, 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 to every T and every I dotted the God who created the universe? I'll never be able to understand it. God said in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. He says that, that the way that I think is not the way that you think. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. It's not. He said, and hey, the way that I do things, my ways are not your ways, for as high as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He says, as far as the heaven, heavens is, are from the earth, that's how differently we think. That's how differently I operate. And so how in the world... Can I think that I can even start to answer some of the why questions? I won't know everything, and I have to be okay. I have to be okay. Because, listen, if I could know everything, then that eliminates faith. If I could know everything, see everything, and, and can comprehend and grasp, then that means that there is no need for me to have faith, to believe in something even though I can't see it. It doesn't. Then I don't need it anymore because I have all the proof and, 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 that I need. But I, I can't comprehend them in that way, so that's why we need what? Faith. I see you, Ma. 1 Corinthians 1.25 uh, and 28 says, For the foolishness of God is what? Wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than what? Human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what? The foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the what weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despise uh, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. I see you Micah. And so you look like you like that scripture. Watch this. And so and so God you, and so and so the, the foolishness, the things that people consider foolish, you God uses that to make them look stupid. And so that that's the difference in how in how he works. And so the, like I said, the thing with Job and the things we got to keep in mind is the fact that, I, that 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 it's not about why do bad things happen to good people? It's the understanding that bad things happen to good people. That thing, we go through this world and, and let me tell you something, uh, bad, bad, things happen to bad people, but if bad things are going to happen, I'd rather they happen to me with God on my side. I would rather they happen to me as I'm walking this life and obeying because, because good God, listen, sometimes this stuff that we go through is so hard to deal with and we got God. And so imagine how hard it would be to go through some of the stuff we're going through now and not even have hope because we don't have God in our life. I see you, Nisi. And so, and so, and so that's, um those are kind of the two themes that we have to keep in mind as we read the book, because there are things that to me are unexplainable. Um, uh, uh, but, but we'll see how the Holy spirit, um, you know, works through, uh, works through it. And by the way, I think the purpose of our Bible studies isn't necessarily to even explain everything, right. It's to, it's, it's to read and gain that kind of understanding um, even though even that that takes faith in saying, well, I don't, we don't, you know, understand, you know, God in, in, in that manner, because we we're growing in, uh, to glory to glory. But anyway, um, so a little bit more about the book before we jump in. So it's the, uh, um, again, we, we were doing minor prophets, but this is not. This is the first poetic book um, or book of wisdom in the Bible. The rest of these poetic books or books of wisdom, uh, they're Ecclesiastes, uh, uh, the book of Psalms, uh, Proverbs, uh, Song of Solomon or Song of Psalms, or whatever, whichever one you want to call it, um, or, and, and Lamentations. Uh, and so, this is the first poetic book uh, in, in that way. Uh, now, the author is pretty much anonymous. Um, you know, th- there are several thoughts that maybe Job himself wrote it. Um, apparently, Job lived about 140 years or so after the events in this book. And so, it's possible that in his, in, you know, that as light, time went on and perspective and stuff like that, that he wrote the book himself, because again, he lived a long time um, afterwards. Um, some people think that Moses wrote it. Some scholars think Solomon did. Uh, Hezekiah is one, Ezra. And uh, in some of my research, there were a few other names uh, that I had never heard before um, in the Bible. So I didn't, I didn't list those there, but those are some names that are familiar. If you want to find some of those other names, I can send you some of my stuff if, if you just want to find some ancient Jewish names of people who may, or may have wrote the book if you're fascinated by that kind of thing. Let's um, see, the date of the book also, Is unknown because this book itself which is kind of different from any other book in in, in the bible um you know it kind of it lacks historical context like it doesn't talk about the times that he's living in it doesn't give you any kind of historical context and you know outside of job and his friends like people like he doesn't give you any kind of individuals like historic individuals to give you kind of context like you know in some prophets in some other prophets it says you know in this year of this king this happened and this empire and that and so you can kind of piece things together um but this book doesn't really um mention any of that so it's kind of hard to date here's one of the things that i thought i mean i'm sorry to geek out on some of this stuff but you know i like this and i like i like history but um they say that it's likely that he that uh, he was prior to Abraham. Um, um, now, the reason it's like he's prior to Abra- Abraham and definitely definitely prior to Moses um, is the fact that and we want to read this in, in the first few verses, uh, which is might, might be all we have time tonight um, for tonight, is the fact that they talk about when he when he prayed for his sons, when they had their feasts and stuff, he would offer up sacrifices. Now, sacrifices were something that only priests would offer up, but that was after the law. Um, uh, uh, but so, and he's not mentioned to be a priest or anything. So this must be pre that he's also not mentioned as being a Jew. He's not mentioned as being, you know, you know, you read through, uh, some of the prophets and they say, you know, our forefathers from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, you know, he doesn't do any of that stuff. And so it's possible much like, you know, Noah and those guys, like he was pre Abraham. Um, also some of the stuff that's mentioned and we'll, I'll try to remember to bookmark it. But like in chapter 21, um, there's t- talk of like, uh, like musical instruments and somewhere further down, um, uh, uh, chapter 42, there's mention of like money. And the words that are used um, in context is like early Genesis. And so it's like he's, he predates Abraham, basically. Um, oh, and you know, there's a couple. And so also Ezekiel makes mention of him um i don't thought oh yeah i did write it down ezekiel makes mention of him in ezekiel 14 14 he refers to him um as uh, uh, as an ancient person you know as someone of old or someone of ancient and so um and so it's obvious that it's way before uh then um and there's some jewish teaching um because uh this book is also in the talmud and there's some jewish teaching because some so they had it in the Talmud, and then there was some revisions, and then some redactions, and other stuff like that. There's some teaching uh, in Jewish culture that Job is not a real person; that it was almost like a parable. It's, it's a story to prove a greater point. The reason why I don't necessarily buy that is 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 is, and not because it's in the Bible, but because I mean Jesus taught in parables, and that's in the Bible, but because Paul references him um, um, in First Corinthians, and also he's referenced in James, and then Ezekiel's reference to him, and it is unlikely. That they would reference um, a character in a parable um, um, in their teachings and in their writings. They would they because none of them did that. I mean, why would they only do that with, with Job? And so, um, I think he's a, I think he's an actual person. So <laughs> let's read um, and uh, and see and see what we get. See how far we go. I'm, I've got um, King James um, here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Job one. So let's see. Uh, we're going to read the first uh, chapter, chapter one. I'll read the first three verses. Uh, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were uh, born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household so this man was the greatest of all people uh, in the East. So right there, we see that Job is established as a couple things. Number one, as a rich man, right? He's got tons of cattle. He's got all these animals. He's got land. He's says he got these kids. He's got a big family. Interesting. They talk about the kids he had. But at this point, there still was no mention of his wife in this description. Now, we know he is married, and we'll see his wife come to play a little bit later in the story. But they don't mention you know, um, uh, his wife at all. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I just thought it was interesting. They also mentioned that he was what? That he was righteous. Now, what's interesting also is that the Bible talks about him being righteous and upright, uh, you know, before the Lord, blameless, one who feared God and shunned evil. But they don't really give you any other background besides that regarding his relationship with God or any kind of religious practices of any sort before this. But they do say he was a righteous man and upright. So we don't really have any kind of insight on you know, his religious practices and daily stuff until we get a little insight coming up in the next few verses. Verse four uh, says, and his sons would go and feast in their houses on each each on his appointed day and would send and invite their uh, three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the day of feasting had run their course that Job would send uh, and sanctify them uh, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them. And so here we see, a, 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 some sort of religious practice that Job had and interestingly enough I want to dig deeper into this and look at some of the stuff like when it came to you know Abraham saying he gave tithes like to Melchizedek and then also when it comes to Job um, you know the sacrifices here pre-law I want to research and study and if anybody's interested in it and, and, and not just the weirdo like me um, let me know because I want to know where where did this idea of sacrificing things come from pre know law because obviously it was something that these guys did so anyway uh let's see oh yeah it says uh burnt offerings according to the number of them all then says for job said it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed god in their hearts thus job did regularly so job did this regularly um uh basically standing in the hedge uh as a hedge in the gap for his kids. Right. And so he sacrificed for his son's feast in case they sinned against God. And that's a big deal right there. You know, thank God, you know, for the people who pray for us regularly. Right. For the people who, when we don't see it, for the people when we're not around for the people who you know don't look to for a pat on the back or you know they don't they don't necessarily have to put their prayer for me on facebook you know what i mean it's just so funny you know people post a prayer on facebook it's like well i don't know if god needs to check facebook to hear your prayer you could just say that to him something tells me you want people to see it but my point is is that thank god for the people who pray for us regularly and continue to pray for us amen all right now here we go let's get to the part uh the first part of beyond understanding at least for me now watch this it says now there was a day when the sons of god came to present themselves before the lord and satan also came among them all right first thing that seems a little weird you know the enemy you know this, this is obviously you know post fall um uh, uh but the accuser what goes up with the sons of God uh, before the Lord. And I'm thinking, well, how in the world does the devil have access to, to, to God? Now, there are some scholars that say, well, that access was there until Christ was crucified, died and rose again. Some scholars say that he has access to God until the end time and he's finally defeated. You know what I mean? And, uh, I say, I don't know. But apparently he had access to him here and maybe he still do. I don't know. Um, uh, but reading the Bible verse by verse, it looks like he like he at least did at this point. Uh, so let's see. And Satan came also with them. And the Lord said to Satan. So here's God initiating this whole thing with him. Right. Uh, from where did you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on earth and walking back and forth on it. So it seems as if, again, he has this access to earth and the heavens to stand before God um, and so he answers his question. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant uh, Job? Now, here's the thing. If I was Job, I'd be mad. Like, why are you even bringing my name up when you're talking to him? Like, I don't even understand. Like, here, here I am doing good. Here I am doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. Why am I even in this conversation? Who said anything about me? Why are you bringing me into it? All right, here we go. And so he said, the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? That there is not one like him on earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. So here's what's interesting too about the author who wrote this is the fact that this is the same language. If you read uh, verse eight, then the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? Watch this, that there is none like him on earth. He says a, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. It's the exact same thing that was said in verse, uh, in verse one, chapter one um, about Job, uh, uh, an upright man, one who fears God and shunned evil. Uh, and so this, almost leads me to believe that maybe Job didn't didn't write this um uh and it's a it's an odd thing for it to, and so i'm wondering if even if it, and i'll talk about this a little bit later um but if it would be odd in a in conversation for god to say one who fears god like if he's talking about himself it's good. so getting into the writing and how it was written is kind of kind of interesting to me but again i'll have to understand everything uh it's verse nine says so satan answered the lord and said does, does Job fear God for nothing? Uh, verse 10, have you not made a hedge around him, uh, around his, ho- his household, uh, around all that he has on every side? Have, uh, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions increased. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, that... Uh, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. Uh, we'll stop right there because here's here's the interesting thing um, about about this, um, and I can't wait to jump back in it, um, uh, especially when we get back to the second time that that Joe that the enemy comes into the presence of God, um, is that the person who's writing who who wrote this, um, and, and it, usually when there's some sort of spiritual interaction, it comes in the form of, 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 of a vision, um, a dream. It comes when someone says, you know, uh, I saw the angel of the Lord and he said, this account of what happened in heaven written by man isn't introduced as a vision or a dream or something the spirit of the Lord said happened. And so there's questions as to, as to the conversation and the interaction itself. You know, is it more reflective of a, of a vision? You know how Daniel will say, you know, I saw this uh, beast and it had wings of this and feet of that. And so he's really trying to explain what he saw in the vision, but he can't really, like, articulate, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? So it's like, like if I were to say, oh, I saw this great car, it looked like a spaceship, but the back was like a yacht with a boat, and then the front part of it almost looked like an airplane. Like, I, I'm trying to explain to you what it looked like or what I saw by using examples uh, of what I know you see, if that makes any sense. I know you've seen an airplane. I know you've seen a boat. I know you've seen a car. So if I use that, you, and, so, and so I've been digging and haven't seen any kind of scholar commentary on how did the writer see this interaction between God and the devil in heaven enough to be able to write exactly how it went down? Because, and the reason I say this is because, and this is why I'm saying it's going to be interesting, because so many times, we get, our theology, we get our theology by what we assume uh, is read or what someone tells us is being read. Like, you know, we, 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 we look at this, and then so what will happen is we say, okay, well, God, you know, allowed this to happen to Job. And yeah, in a in in pattern, in a, in a, well, God, because God's all powerful. He can stop anything if he wants to stop it, obviously. Um, but then we come to certain things where something happens, like in present day. I rem- you remember Hurricane Katrina, and people say, well, God did that because he wanted to destroy the sin in, you know, in New Orleans. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, careful what we attribute to God because of, you know, not understanding something or, you know, not really digging deep and knowing because you don't want to attribute something like that to God and it's not him and stumble people. Amen. And so and so that's just one of the questions when it comes to I don't have to know everything. It's it's okay We don't have any any benefit of saw a vision and or the spirit of the Lord came and told me that there was, you know, a a conversation in heaven between the almighty and the the enemy. and And the Lord said, have you considered like we don't we don't get that here. Um, and so, and so, you know, how did the writer know that this is exactly what was said between God, and God, I don't know. Um, but I'm praying that the Lord will reveal it, but I'm also fine with the, I'm also fine with saying, that's one thing I don't, I don't understand, I don't understand about it. The good thing is like we do with our verse by verse Bible studies is that we don't major in minors and minor in majors. This is not a matter of your salvation. Uh, so it's just a matter of knowledge and understanding.